Okay, great. Um, well, we are in our series on the life of Joseph called Overcome. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39 today. If you have a Bible, you can jump there. We're going to stay in that chapter today. If you have a smartphone, you can follow along too. We're going to have the verses on the screen as well for you to follow along in case you don't have your smartphone or you have a dumb phone. Um, so we're in the life of Joseph, and, and we're talking about this idea of overcoming because we all have difficulty and challenges in our life, and how do we get past them? How do we make it through? How do we overcome? And Joseph is one of those people who endured a lot, and we're just starting to see some of the hard, difficult situations that Joseph self found himself in over about a 12-year span, and we'll get to that uh, some more of the dates and time next week. But one of the things that we have to do when we want to overcome is we have to think long-term instead of short-term. We have to think long-term instead of short-term. And that especially comes into place when we're talking about who we are as people, our character, when we're talking about our character. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals. Part of that is because I'm a pastor, um, and as a pastor, um, I, I'm with people at the beginning of their life, at the end of their life, some of the hardest times in between. And at my last gig, when I was a pastor in Nebraska for about five and a half years, in five and a half years, I did 25 funerals. Okay. Did a lot of funerals. I was at a lot of funerals. And that wasn't even all the ones I went, you know, I went to other ones as well. So I've been to a lot of funerals, even though I, I know I look pretty young. I am, but I've been there. And, and one of the things that I can tell you of my observation from every single funeral I go to very, very little is said at these funerals about someone's career achievements. Very little is said about what they did, even their accomplishments. What everyone talks about is who they were as a person. Seriously, who they were as a person. It's the relationships they have with the, those who are closer. Because a lot of people, you know, if you can live a long life, which a lot of us want to do, we retire and maybe live 20, 30 years after that. What you do in your career is a very short time in your life. And sometimes we even, I'm saying short-term think, are just our career. And one of the saddest things, because people do talk about loved ones, and some people don't live the best life, and what everyone always says is, well, at least they had a good heart. I hear this from the worst people who died. They had a good heart. And you hear the same thing when you watch the news when they interview someone, the mother of a serial killer. Oh, they're a good person. I don't know. He was a good kid. That's what we say. We hope that there's something good on the inside because on the outside we don't see it. <laughs> and I think that's one of the saddest things that can happen at a funeral. On the other hand, when they're surrounded by family and friends who were touched by this person's life, not by what they did, but by who they were. Did they show kindness? Did they show love? Were they a person who stood for something? Did they have integrity? Those are the things that really matter and sometimes we get so focused on right now. We get so focused on what's the next thing I need. Who's the person I want to be with right now? What's my next step in my career? These are all very temporary things that we think about, and sometimes we forget the long term. But if we want to overcome when we have difficult things in our life, we really have to think long term, even the last day, and not just what are people going to say in our eulogy, but what is God going to say about us? When we stand before him, what is he going to say to us? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you? These are some of the deep questions that we need to be thinking about. We need to think about that long term and not short term. And we need to develop that mindset if we do want to overcome the difficulties now. 
we do. And we're going to see that with Joseph because sometimes doing the right thing, having integrity, being a person who is uh, not just, oh, they have a good heart, but actually doing good for other people. If you want to be like that, sometimes it's going to hurt you in the short term. Sometimes it's going to be harder and put you in a worse mess. And I want to tell you this. This is a very simple, big idea today. But you've got to get it, is that character is costly. Character is costly. If you're thinking about who I am as a person, and most of us want to be a better person. We want to be someone that others admire and that God does say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be that person. And if we want to do that, it's going to be hard and cost us in the short term. Character is costly. And that's what we're going to see today through the life of Joseph. Now, if you missed the last couple of weeks, Joseph is one of the patriarchs of Israel. God chose this people through Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob to basically be the people that he would bless the entire world through. And Jacob had 12 sons and the 11th son was this young man, Joseph. And Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jacob. And that got him into some trouble because he showed a lot of favoritism, brought him this beautiful ornate coat. You know, the, the multicolored dream coat, if you've seen the musical. That's what Joseph had, and his brothers hated him because of that. And last week we saw that his brothers hated him so much and were jealous of him that they were going to kill him. And they threw him in this cistern, a pit that we talked about last week. Threw him in this pit, and they were going to just kill him. And they thought they could get away with it. And then just by chance, but there's no chance when it comes to God, just by chance, this caravan of merchants was coming. And we have this map up here so you can see. This caravan of merchants was coming from the northeast, which is modern-day Syria. And they were coming through Dothan, where the brothers were with Joseph. And these brothers saw him and thought, oh, we can make a quick buck. Let's sell our brother as a slave. And that's what they did. They sold Joseph. And we left Joseph last week, basically, even though he got dragged out of the pit, he was really put into the pit of his life. This was a major trial that he would be going through for years to come. Somebody uh, I talked with this week was like, hey, Matt, I'm in the pit right now. How long is it going to last? I said, I don't know. For Joseph, it lasted at least 12 years. There's even stuff after that that was difficult. So the pits, I don't know. Sometimes a pit is just, you know, a few hours for a person but it could last years. It's a difficult situation that we all deal with at some point in our life. So Joseph was sold and the caravan took him all the way down into Egypt. And we saw at the very end of chapter 37 last week that Joseph was sold then by these merchants to an Egyptian family into the household of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar, we read, was the captain of the guard, it says. Captain of the guard. And that phrase, it, it makes it sound like he was like the head security guard. But it's way more than that, because it's the same term used for the Babylonian general who destroyed Jerusalem later in the Bible. So this is like a top guy in Pharaoh's kingdom, right? He's a top general, top advisor. He's one of the main guys working for Pharaoh, who's the leader, the emperor, the king of all of Egypt. And here is Potiphar, and Joseph gets put into Potiphar's household. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 2 of chapter 39 says that the Lord was with Joseph. God hadn't abandoned him. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So here is Joseph just coming in as a lowly slave, a 17-year-old boy, 
but he's working well, and he, he's very smart, and they could probably tell that, hey, you know, let, let's bring him inside the household because then he can manage some of the affairs of this big household that might, might have had uh, dozens, hundreds of servants and slaves. So they took him out of the field, and they said, okay, and they kept raising him up the ranks, and he became higher and higher until he was basically second in command in this household to Potiphar. To Potiphar, and he was doing really well. It says the Lord was with him. I want to point this out. In this chapter alone, it says that the Lord was with Joseph four different times. I think God is trying to say, hey, he's in the pit. He's sold as a slave, but hey, God is still there. God is still there in the pit with you. He's still working, and that's what he is for Joseph. And I think this is really interesting because he's a slave. He's managing a household. Maybe he's an administrator of the business and the accounts of, of Potiphar. And this is so important because God is with him. I, this is a quick bonus point. Sometimes I give these for free. This one's free today too. Sometimes people think, oh, God is only calling um, people into being pastors or missionaries and into ministry. No, no, no. God calls people into business, even administrative roles. Okay? Whatever your job is, even if you feel like, hey, I'm just a lowly grunt slave. Sometimes you, sometimes you feel like that way. God is still with you and he wants you to work hard. And what you're doing is important. And, and when you do that, you'll begin to stand out. You'll begin to stand out because you're taking your role seriously as a calling from God. Whatever you're doing in the role of business, working with finances, managing different things, when you're doing it well and doing it with integrity, you stand out. And sometimes that's very good in this situation. And that's what we see, right? It's very good. He keeps getting promoted. He keeps getting promoted to the next level and the next level and the next level until he's basically second in command. But sometimes even that can almost put a target on your back. You think, oh, this is great. I'm doing a great job. I'm standing out because I'm integrity. I'm doing my job really well with excellence. But then you get this target on your back. People are out against you. E- even being in, with integrity in your career can get you into trouble because character is costly, right? And that's what we're going to see happen to Joseph. And this is where we pick it up again in verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I like that. I wish people described me that way. Verse 7, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So I love this description. If you notice in the Bible, there's very little description of people. There really is. There's very little description. There's a lot of, um, you know, speaking. There's a lot of talking in the Bible, but very little description. Unlike English, you know, like you read a book in English. I remember once reading a book by Tom Clancy, and there was a 33-page chapter that I read just getting into this book, and it was all describing this person, and at the very end of the chapter, he died. And I was like, 33 pages of description about this guy's background and everything. What a waste. You could have just said he died, right? But that's what we do in English. We like, we're very verbose. But in Hebrew, they didn't have a lot of paper. They wanted to conserve uh, script. So when they write a description of someone, it's very important. So we see that Joseph was well-built and handsome. This guy looks good. He looks good. I don't know. This is like Matt Damon. Jason Momoa. Ryan Gosling. This, he's looking good, right? And not only is he doing well, but he, he's an attractive dude. And Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, sees him and wants him. Wants him. And it's interesting, here it says, come to bed with me. In Hebrew, that's just two words, like do me. Or I'm sure you can think of some other colloquial phrases to add in there with two words. That's what she's saying. And I point that out because what we see here is not just two adults that are attracted to each other, or one adult attracted to another, but... That she is using her 
power. This is a command. This is someone in a position of authority using their command to get a sexual favor. Heard about that in the news? Heard about that? I I think now with the Me Too movement, I, I read that there's been over 200 powerful men that have been accused of things like this. In this instance, it's a woman, but the situation is very similar. When people get into the position of power like this and authority, it's not just consenting adults anymore, is it? This is a big problem in our our nation today because when someone has that uh, power and authority over another person, they feel like, well, I guess I have to do it. This is my boss. If I don't do it, maybe they're going to mistreat me. Maybe I'll miss out on the promotion. Maybe I'll get fired. And I'm sure Joseph felt that pressure too. He's doing really well. He's making it up the ranks. He's doing a great job. He's stuck in this place he doesn't want to be, but he doesn't have a choice. He's a slave. He has to have this job. There's no way out. He needs the money, I guess, because he has no money. He needs to be fed. He's got to do something. And you can feel the pressure on it. So Joseph is beginning to feel this sense of, hey, if I want to do what's right in this situation, it's going to cost me. And that's what we do, too, when we're in those situations. Maybe you've been there. Well, you know, if I just gave in, you know, is anybody really ever going to know? We can keep it private just between the two of us. In our culture, if it's between consenting adults, anything is fine, right? So we say, but no, 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 Joseph knew it was more than that. So that's what we read in verse 8. Verse 8, it says, but Joseph refused. And he explains to her, he says, with me in charge, he told her, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? No. He says sin against God. Now he's explaining, hey, this would be an affair, this would be adultery, this would be a break of trust with my boss. But what he says it ultimately comes down to is this is a sin against God. This is a sin against God. And that's really what it comes down to. That's what integrity is. That's what character is. How you stand before God. Because we all have things that we have done and thought in secret. No one else knows about it. Hey, it was just between two consenting adults, right? But really, God knows. God sees the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Nothing is hidden from it. Everything is laid bare before God. And Joseph knew that he would have to stand before God one day and give an account for what he would do on that day, in that situation. Would he have this affair? That could probably even advance him even further in his household. Get in good with the boss's wife. Man, he'll be protected forever. Nothing bad could come to him then. But he says, no, no, no. In order to have character, in order to have integrity, I have to say no here. Now, uh, some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal? In our our culture, I I get it. I get it. What we say is between two consenting adults, right? Is it really that big of a deal? Some of you are like, yeah, an affair is not that. It's it's not good. I mean, it's not good. But but for Joseph, I mean, he's, he's single, right? What's the big deal, right? But here's the thing. What God has laid out for us is that sexual sin is not just a sin against another person, in this case, against Potiphar. But it's also a sin against yourself and against God. In the Ten Commandments, God gave one of his top ten commands, do not lust, do not covet another person's wife. Do not commit adultery, he says. 
Jesus would take that to the fullest extent and would teach us that even if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you're committing adultery with them in your heart. See, the Bible, a lot of people think that the Bible takes sex and like, oh, you know, puts it aside, it's like not a good thing. No, no, no. The Bible elevates sex to the place where it's supposed to be. Because the Bible treats sex, a physical act, as something that's also spiritual. It's a very important thing. It is so powerful and so profound that Jesus, God, the entire Bible would teach that sex is designated, intended for marriage between a man and a woman. That's what God says over and over again. Because it is not just a sin against another person, but it's a sin against you and it's a sin against God. We see this in a place like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We read, run from sexual sin. I wonder if Paul was thinking of Joseph when he wrote that. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. I think it's really interesting that he wrote this in the first century, but here in the 21st century, we've begun to study a lot more of the uh, neurobiology of what happens during sex. Did you know about this? There are three different neurochemicals that are released in the sexual act. The first one you've probably heard about is dopamine. This is like the trigger of a lot of pleasure in your brain. And what happens is as that's released, it's almost like taking a drug. And this, this release in our brain is indeterminate whether something is right or something is wrong. When you have that release, it makes you addicted to it just like a drug. Which is a very powerful good thing when you're talking about the spouse that you want to spend the rest of your life with. But it makes it really hard for you to bond with someone in that way if you're just going to break up later. Or it's just a one night stand. There's a couple other chemicals that are released in the sexual act as well. There's one called oxytocin, and this is a chemical that's released in the woman's brain. And this is a bonding thing. This is why a, a woman, when they have sex with someone, they bond to that person. They have that connection because this chemical is released, and it forms a, a special attachment to that person. There's a similar chemical in the brain of a man that's released, and it's called vasopressin. It does a very similar thing, that you become connected to this other person. So we're learning now as we're studying the body neuroscience, that there literally is a bond that happens in that act. I think maybe God knew what he was doing you know, when he said it in the first century when we had no idea about these chemicals. But these things happen, and they can make an addiction to another person, which can be, is a very good thing. It's a very good thing if it's a person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. But it's more than just your own body, because cause think about that. If you are connected to that person, if you're attached to that person, it's really hard then to break that attachment. And that's why people, when they have a lot of sexual partners, they have a hard time then attaching to another person because they've attached to so many other people. Makes it difficult and challenging. So I'm just saying this. We're, we're just talking about chemistry, right? We're just talking about neurobiology, our own bi bodies. But we can see logically that, yes, something in the moment, something temporary may feel really good. But it could hurt us in the long run. And God is smart, and that's why he makes that a command. He goes on in, in verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, God has bought you at a high price, the price of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And he's saying, I want the best for you. I want the best for you. You know, I have a whole ton of stuff I could tell you guys about this. That, that if you choose to wait and have sex with one person till you're married, that um, you'll have uh, half the likelihood of depression. For uh, young men, they found that it's seven times less likelihood that you'll try to commit suicide. Three times in girls. That you'll earn more money in your career. Isn't that interesting? You'll earn more money in your career. You'll get more education. You increase the odds by a lot of having a healthy, stable marriage. And you lower the odds a ton of ever getting divorced or separated. And, this is the best one, you'll have more and better sex in your marriage. Okay, Those are just some statistics. I just want to tell you that. Practically, it makes sense. But it's hard in the moment, isn't it? It's hard in the moment to say no to something that seems so tempting. Or is it really that big of a deal? But God is saying, hey, let's think long term here. You're sinning against another person, perhaps. Maybe that person's future spouse. You're sinning against yourself because you're forming this attachment with a person that you might not be able to hold on to. And you're sinning against God himself because he has called you for something better than that. He's calling you to integrity. Now, I don't say any of this to make you feel guilty. I know the world we live in, how easy it is to just swipe right. I've read about that. I know how easy, I know how the pressures that people face today to have sex on the first date. But I'm telling you, it's not good. And and I'm not trying to, you know, just make you feel guilty. I, I think this is one of the most interesting things about sexuality. People always say in our modern, open minded age that we need to be open minded about these things. How can we be so old and traditional? But here's the thing you are not open minded because. It is very hard to get the major religions in the world to agree on anything. But you know what one thing they all agree on? Sex is intended for marriage. So maybe if you're throwing all that out, all the world of religions, billions of people who have affirmed this, lots of different religions, maybe you're the one who's not open-minded. Maybe there is something to the truth of that. So I know this is a challenging word, isn't it? This is a challenging word. But I'm doing this for your good. God is telling us for your good. And here's the thing. It might be hard and it might cost you a lot. Character is costly. It might cost you a lot. You may get dumped because you're not willing to go all the way. You may lose friends. You will be made fun of. You will be told that you're stupid and foolish because you've got to give it a test drive, right? Test drive. Let me tell you this about the test drive. I can tell you a a certain aspect that you should look for to know 100% certain whether someone will be good at sex. If they're selfless, you don't need to try it out. Just look for a person who loves you and serves you and values you above yourself. And then you're going to figure out all the sex stuff easily. Okay? Just a little word of advice for those of you who are thinking about getting married someday. Look for someone who's selfless. And you're going to figure all that stuff out. You've got time. You've got years to figure it out. You'll get it. So I know that this is a challenging word, and I know it's costly. And it cost Joseph something, didn't it? It's going to cost Joseph a lot in this situation, and it costs us too in our relationships. Uh, I want you to see here as we continue on in verse 10. In verse 10, we read, And though she, Potiphar's wife, spoke to Joseph day after day, 
he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Day after day. Isn't that the way temptations are? We think, oh, okay, I said no. Great, awesome. Everything's good. And then it comes back again and again and again and again. And sexual sin is one of the worst, right? I get it. It just keeps coming back again and again and again to keep tempting us and, and taunting us even. And Joseph teaches us a really helpful skill here. He says he refused to go to bed with her. Yeah, he's already said no. Or even be with her. So he's avoiding her whenever he can. And that's a really just a helpful skill to have. Sometimes you just need to avoid the situation in general. Avoid that person in general. Avoid any of those situations where everybody's going to be drinking and you know it could lead to something. Just avoid it. Yeah, it'll cost you because you won't be able to go to those situations, but it's worth it. In uh, Proverbs chapter 5, it teaches us this is just a wise thing to do. It says, stay away from the woman who commits adultery. Don't even go near her house. Don't go near her. Don't go near that thing. Don't go near the internet if that's the thing that's tempting you. Just avoid that person. Avoid that situation in general, entirely. And I wish I could tell you that that solved all of Joseph's problems, right? He said no. He avoided her. He's keeping his integrity in this situation. He knows this is his master's wife. But it gets worse. It gets worse because he lives in the same house as this woman. He can't avoid her. Forever. And we can't avoid the temptation we have in our lives forever. And what we see is that Joseph then is in the room with his master's wife alone. All the servants had left the house. Probably she had planned this. And she grabs Joseph by his coat. Saying again, come to bed with me. That same command. And he just knows... I have to get out of here. So he runs, and as he runs, she's holding on to his coat, and he leaves the coat behind as he's just trying to get out of there and book it out as quick as he can. And that's another helpful skill. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to run away. Get out of there. Get out of this situation. Not just with sexual things, but if you're in, in a job and they're trying to pressure you to do something immoral, maybe you just need to quit. Get out of there. Get out of that situation. Get out of that friend group. Because how good of friends are they if they're pressuring you to do that sinful thing that you know is wrong? Just run and get out of there. In 1 Timothy, we pick this, this same concept up. We have that verse. 2 Timothy, I'm sorry. It says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do to keep your integrity. Just run out of there. I can't say no anymore. It's... I just have to get out of there. So just run, get out of there. And I'd love to say that this worked for Joseph. I'd love to say that, oh my gosh, he was so strong under temptation, stronger than the rest of us. He said no. He avoided the situation. Then he ran when it came. But it didn't help, did it? Did you know what Potiphar's wife did? She screamed at the top of her lungs. She yelled. And all the servants that were outside the house came in. Joseph had taken off. He would run as far as he could. But Potiphar's wife was there and she said, that servant Joseph tried to rape me. She accused him of assaulting her when it was the other way around, wasn't it? She accused him. And then when Potiphar came home, and she told him the same story and she had the cloak to prove it. See, look, he left his coat here. Isn't it interesting in these stories that the coat is so important? She said, I have proof. He was trying to take advantage of me. 
And Potiphar is livid. He is angry. He's enraged. And he grabs Joseph, even though it's his best servant, the manager of his household, has never done anything wrong that we know about to this point, takes Joseph and throws him into prison under lock and key. He's thrown into prison. Turned out great for Joseph, didn't it? He should have just given in. I mean, nobody would have found out about it. If he just did it once, he would have been off, off his back and, and could have left him alone. Sometimes just giving in to the temptation, right? It makes you feel better and you can move on. It didn't. It wouldn't have helped. For Joseph, things got worse and worse and worse. And that's how it goes sometimes with character, with maintaining integrity, with doing the right things in those difficult situations. It costs us a lot. Character is costly. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. It's not easy. doesn't feel good. Character is costly. Character is costly. I remember hearing the story about a young man, and he was really excited to start his first job. He finally got a job in his career field right out of getting out of college. It took him forever because, you know, it, it does. And he finally got a job in the TV industry, and he started working at one of the major cable networks. He's so excited. Finally got his shoe in the door in the industry he wants. And on the first day, they sit him down, and they said, okay, you're going to sit here. And they sat him down in front of this big uh, wall of television screens. And they said, what your job is to do is to moderate content, to make sure we have something up on all of these channels that we have. So you've got to just watch all these channels, make sure that they're what, we're, what they're supposed to be, and, and make sure. So he's looking at all these channels, except the section that he was tasked with was all the porn channels. He's a Christian. This young man told his supervisor, he said, sorry, can I work in a different section and look at some different channels? Because I can't do this job, you know, I, I can't look at pornography. I, I think that's against, I, I think that's causing me to sin. It goes against my moral code. The boss says, sorry, this is the job. You signed up for it. You wanted to be a content manager. This is the career you want to be in, right? So that young man realized that he would have to quit. And he did. He lost his job after one day in the industry he wanted to be in. And talk about being costly, right? Character is costly. It's hard to do the right thing. It's going to cost us, and it cost Joseph. He got thrown into prison. Slavery wasn't bad enough, right? Now he's thrown into prison where he can't go anywhere. Can't see daylight. Character is costly. Um, Chuck Polson once said that our character is determined not by our circumstances, but by our reaction to those circumstances by our reaction to their circumstances. And I want you to see this because things will happen in your life outside of your control. He had this person in authority over him. He thought he you know, would have had to do what she said to keep the job. you feeling the pressure of it. And maybe it's your boss pressuring you. Come on. You don't need to report all the earnings. Come on. You can just change that number a little bit. Everybody does it in our industry. You can do it that way too. The circumstances come to us in our lives. And it's how we respond to them, how we react to them, that determines the character we will have. Will we be able to stand with integrity before God? On the last day, what are people going to say about us? What's God going to say about us? 
And if you're wondering, well, why does any of this happen? This seems just so difficult. Why, you know, if God was really with him, like it says four times in this chapter, why would God allow that to happen? But here's the thing. We learned last week that sometimes God is bringing us through those situations to develop our character. Thomas Akempis, the great uh, Christian thinker, once said, temptations can be useful to us, even though they seem to cause us nothing but pain. They are useful because they can make us humble. They can cleanse us and they can teach us. They can teach us. They can work in us to develop the integrity, the character we need. Here's the thing about it that I want to tell you. There is a cost to maintaining character and integrity. But if you just give in, oh, it's so much easier now. I can make more money. You know, financially, it's going to be better for me not to pay those taxes right now. If you don't pay the cost now, you are going to pay the cost later. You will. Eventually, it'll come back and hurt you and haunt you in this life or in the one to come. You know, when they uh, designed the Titanic, it was the first time ever that they had designed a boat with multiple compartments in its hull. Did you know this? They were really excited about this design because they thought if we hit an iceberg or something happens and we take a little bit of water, the water will sit in one compartment or two or three and not make it to the rest of the boat so that we can continue to go on. And that's what we do in our lives. We kind of compartmentalize what I do in private, what I do in this relationship, you know, what I do here at work just a little bit, you know, won't affect the rest. How wrong they were because even a little bit of water can sink a ship. Even if you're in a dinghy and you get a hole in the bottle, it, it, it can be just a pinhole, right? After enough time, it's going to sink. And that's what happens with integrity. Do you know what the word integrity means? Keeping it all as one hole, right? One big hole. Everything is related to the other things. Everything affects everything. And, and in one aspect of our life, affects all the rest. Character is the whole thing. Integrity is the whole thing. If you're like, well, Matt, you don't understand how hard my temptation is. You know, I might not. I might not. But this is what God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. This is a promise from God. No matter what you face, you can make it out. You can make it out. And I know these temptations are strong. They're hard. They're difficult. And some of you are thinking, well, Matt, it's way too late for me. I've done too many wrong things. My ship is sinking. There's no way. Why, why would I even try? There's always a time to turn it around. There's always a chance at a new start. And that's the basics of our message of the gospel. Because some of you in here are thinking, Matt, I have sinned so greatly. You talk about sexual sin. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done because I didn't say no. I said yes again and again and again. With any sin, I, I, I've, I've, I've done too much wrong, Matt. There's too much on me. I can't get out of this. But what's amazing about our story of Joseph is that he had another brother. Did you notice that I skipped a chapter? Anybody notice this? I went straight from 37 to 39. Part of that is because we're focusing on Joseph. But Joseph had another brother named Judah. And there's this crazy story in chapter 38. You can read it on your own. That Judah... I'm not going to give you all the details. This is for your reading. But he sleeps with a prostitute. And he, it's not actually a prostitute. It's his daughter-in-law. 
her son and her sons, because her first son died, it's a complicated story, wouldn't sleep with her and, and have a child. So she tricked him in order to sleep with her so she could get pregnant. And do you know what she did? She asked for his coat. Seriously, he's like, I don't have money to pay you. She said, oh, just give me your coat. So she takes the coat so that when she is found out to be pregnant and the dad, Judah, comes in and he's angry, he's livid, he wants to kill her because she's had an affair. She's committed adultery. She says, this was the man, this is the coat of the man who slept with me. She holds up to Judah's face his own coat. So he spares her. And why I point out that story is do you know who would be the firstborn son who would receive the blessing from the father Jacob? It wouldn't be Joseph, even though he was the man of integrity who did what was right. It would be Judah. And do you know who else came in the line of Judah? The kings, King David, King Solomon, all the kings, and all the way to the king of kings, Jesus. And I point that out because there's such an irony there of the stories. One man didn't have integrity and lost his coat. The other man had integrity, lost his coat, and it came back to haunt him. But yet it was that Judah that God still used and redeemed. Because God is a God of forgiveness and grace. And when you don't do what you should do, he still loves you and has forgiveness for you. Because Jesus was the greater Joseph. He was the only one who truly never did anything wrong, never sinned. And yet he still faced the cost of character. When he was executed... When he was crucified for our sins. And when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, all our past, all our sins, all the yuck, all the stupid things we've done can be forgiven. And then we can actually truly live that life of character and say, I have been forgiven. The past is behind me. I live a new life now in Christ. Character is costly. But through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, through the power that he gives you, you can stand up and do what's right, even when it's so hard. Now, I'm going to have Bobby come up here right now, because some of you are in that phase right now. You're like, Matt, it's cost me a lot. I've done what's right, and I, I, I still am not married. Things are going poorly at my job. I got fired, whatever. I know that sometimes we're in the middle. We haven't th- seen things come right yet. Like Joseph, you stuck in prison. God would have a plan that he would redeem that situation, but we're sometimes stuck in the middle of Joseph, right? You know, I heard a story from someone I know, and I didn't know about this until just a couple weeks ago. She's a woman I know well, and we'll call her Ashley for this story. Um, But Ashley worked for one of the major hospital organizations in a major metropolitan city. And she was very good at her job. She was a top administrator in her trauma unit. Very good at what she did. She'd won multiple awards for being the best in her hospital and in the state. Very good at administering that trauma unit. And one day, a man that she worked with came into her office and touched her inappropriately. She rejected him. But while she was considering what she should do, that man went to the legal office, went to the lawyer that was his friend, and came up with 29 charges against her. 29 charges of being racist, of being sexist, of, of having his, her own sexual advances and assaults against people. This list of 29 things all completely fabricated. But because the lawyer was this guy's friend, they, they crafted the whole thing. And when 
the, the company heard about it. The HR department fired her immediately and barred her from ever working for that organization again. She did what was right, and yet it cost her her job that she loved, that she was very good at. So she applied to another hospital job, and they called her former employer. So she didn't get that job. She applied for the next one and the next one. She ended up applying for 29 jobs, rejected from all of them. She realized during that time, like, why would God do this to me? I'm a Christian. I, I had integrity in this situation. I tried to speak up for what was right and true, and she still got rejected again and again and again. But it was even in that process, she realized that God was using that for her character because she had been involved in one of the mass casualty shootings in our country. And she realized during that time period after she had been fired that she was dealing with the PTSD of it and needed to get help, needed to get healing. And she was able to work on some of that things. And finally, on the 30th job that she applied for, she got it. And it was a low-level job. But she finally said, okay, I I can get in back in in the industry that I'm good at. She started working at this small hospital and things were going really well. And that's when her boss came to her and was really excited. Turns out that major hospital system has bought our hospital. She said, "Uh uh-oh. I've been barred from ever working for them. She had to tell the whole story. And I said, well, didn't make sense why you would apply to this entry-level position. Now it makes sense. So they went to the HR department and said, yeah, sorry, you can't work. And it seemed like all this stuff was happening again and again. But she said, can you just look into it? So the HR department looked into it, investigated, found out that that lawyer had been fired for breaking his code of conduct. That they found out all the allegations against her were false. And five years after she had been fired and had to deal with all this trial, her pit, the vice president of that organization came to her personally and apologized and said it would be an honor to have you work for us again. It took her five years of pain, of struggle, of being in the middle, of paying the cost of character before she got any resolution, and it probably still isn't enough. But that's where some of you guys are in that middle phase, right? You've paid the cost, you've lost the job, you've been hurt, you lost the relationship, and you're like, when am I going to have resolution? I'm still in the pit, Matt. This song that we're going to sing right now that Bobby's going to lead you is for that time. Because sometimes we're in that middle, and we don't have enough in ourselves, and we're thinking, why do I have to keep going through it? Just like Joseph, I'm sure, felt when he got thrown in prison for doing what was right. So, would you guys please stand as we sing this song together?